Good morning. Hi. I am so excited to be here uh, in Bridgeport with all of you people. I, um, I just... I was born in Bridgeport. I spent many years of my life in this city, so I love this city. And uh, I just, I love this congregation. I, you guys have a special place in my heart. I just want you to know that. Many of you maybe don't know me personally, so just know that I have a vested love for all of you. And uh, I'm really excited to share this topic today. Uh, now, I just wanted to introduce my family. We put a picture up. I've been married for six years to uh, an amazing man, very patient, steadfast. There they are. That's Matt. Lily is my little girl. She's almost four. It's such a princess. I, I mean, she just like, she outdoes me with accessorizing and everything. It's amazing. And that's my little guy, Reese. He's, uh, he just turned a year, so he's way, way bigger than this. And these are my little babies last year, but... Um, Reese is just a love. He's so wonderful. Um, so anyway, that's my family, and, uh, and I'm blessed and honored to be a part of them. Uh, and so I figured today I would start with a story about myself so maybe you could get to know me a little bit. Um, many years ago, my husband and I were on a mission trip with Justin and Chrissy, and uh, we were in Iceland. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to Iceland. But uh, it's a really cool place. Very different. The landscape there is so different than anything here. There's like no trees. I'm a tree lover. There's no trees there. But it's beautiful anyway. There's um, like a ton of dark molten rock. It's like lava that was hardened over time. So the whole thing is like this charcoal gray color. And there's these geysers that like shoot up every once in a while. And everything is decorated from, from like an Ikea catalog. It's all clean and it looks, it's like simple and awesome. And the people are great. So we're there and, uh, and the team was ministering and partnering with this church. And so the pastor of the church brings us home He's driving us around in this party bus, and there's like a spontaneous snowstorm in the middle of October in Iceland. And so we, he, he's like, well, you know, I'll drop you off at the end of your street because I don't want to bring the party bus down the street. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it back out. So here you go. So he drops us off at the end of the street. There's like six of us, you know, and, uh, and we're walking down the end of the street, and we can't find the host home we're staying in. We're like, oh, this is weird. Okay, well, and the thing is, in Iceland too, all the houses kind of look the same. They're shaped the same, and they all have like this. You walk down the stairs to the back entryway. So we're like, uh, we're walking literally in the backyard of every single house on the street, trying to find the door that would, is our host home. We can't find it, and it dawns on us that uh, Ali, the pastor, has dropped us off in the middle of Iceland on the wrong street. Yes. And there's only one of us with, like, the international call allowance on our phone. And so he's trying to call Ali, but Ali had turned his phone off because of the church service. And so we can't get a hold of him. It's snowing. It's it's October, so, like, half of us are in our chucks, you know. Like, we don't have snow boots on, and we're standing there, and we're like, I don't know if we're going to make it home tonight. Like, I think we're going to have to build an igloo here. And And then the Holy Spirit reminded me of something that morning. I saw... There was a pull at the end of, like, this accumulation of streets. And our street was two, two up from the pole. And he had dropped us off. And so I'm like, guys, I think we're two streets up there on the right. Now, I mean, I've given a wrong direction or two in my time. Speen Street, yes, Speen Street. Uh, true story. So 
I mean, it was kind of like a risk. We could be trekking the hills of Iceland in the snow, for, or, you know, let's just go for it. Let, so we do. And uh, lo and behold, that's where it is. And, and the Holy Spirit allowed me to, like, save the day. And it was amazing. And we slept in our warm beds that night. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the thing is that, um, that Justin had mentioned that I have this grace on my life to lead, you know, and, and clear communication and stuff. Well, you know, I, it took me a while to kind of hone this gift and learn to, like, when, when do I know what I'm talking about and when do I back off and, you know, all that stuff. So anyway, God had spent many years strengthening this gift in my life, and I thought I had it pretty down, and, and then I got married. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this gift. I, I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. Maybe some of you women have had this, this experience. Maybe some of you men who are married to some women have had this experience. Maybe some of you single women out there are waiting to get married and you're wondering, like, what's God going to do with my powerhouseness, like, with, you know, with my husband? And, and you know, I, so I kind of lived in this tension between these two things of, like, one— I got to stuff my gift. I got to hold it, hold it together. I can't like unleash the power of Kate all over my husband because otherwise I'm going to be like pushing him, bowling him over. I know the way, you know, that sort of thing. Or, um, or I was going to do that. I was going to be like belligerent and like, just go for it. And like, I'll just take charge here. And so I kind of lived in this tension for a while. And then over, over a couple years, God started really answering this question for me. What does biblical headship and submission look like? What does it look like to me? What does it look like to us? Um, and so uh, one thing I want to just say is in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so, okay, there was a grace and a measure of a gift given on my life. God wanted it that way. And so it's okay, it's okay for me to have this gift. And it doesn't say, you know, every single person, and it doesn't say every married man has a gift. It says each one of us. And so I realized, okay, God's desire for me is to be able to maximize my gift within the context of marriage. But what does that look like? Um, you know, I, I want to read this thing that John Piper, he's a, he's a great theologian of our time, and he wrote this, this thing about marriage. And I want to read it because it's just wonderful. It says, When sin entered the world, it ruined the harmony of marriage, not because it brought headship and submission into existence, but because it twisted man's humble, loving headship into hostile domination in some men and lazy indifference in others. And it twisted women's intelligent, willing submission into manipulation in some women and brazen insubordination in others. Sin didn't create headship and submission. It ruined them and distorted them and made them ugly and destructive. And I think that that's how we feel sometimes when we hear those words, that they're kind of ugly and destructive. And so I kind of came to this place where I realized, you know, Christ didn't come and die on a cross for me to to live in this, to live in this bondage, you know, he, he died so that we can have the fullness. And so Christ has undone every area of brokenness and made available to us the full realization of womanhood. Amazing. So, okay. 
I guess the next thing is, how do I, how do I live that in the context of marriage? And so I want to just take a minute and pray before we really get into stuff this morning. Is that cool? Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your, de- your just deliverance. Jesus, thank you that you gave us your gift of life so that we can live to the fullest. We pray today, Holy Spirit, that every soul, every soul would be just able to experience your fullness, your healing, your blessing this morning. We pray that you would open up your word to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So there was a study done released at the end of last year, so like December 2013, and they did this study on how women and men process things, and uh, they did like MRI scans of our brains, like how the information actually goes in our brains, and they found, this is interesting, there'll be a picture up there, they found that a male brain has all these connectors going front to back, and the female brain has all these connectors going left to right. And so when we process the same information, we're processing it differently. Men tend to process things logically because they're going back to front, right? And uh, women tend to to process things emotionally because their emotional side of their brain is connected to their logical side of the brain. So, you know, they, they discovered that women were kind of more intuitive. Men were better with, like, motor skills, you know, hand tasks, things like that. Um, And this is what the person who ran the study had to say. It's quite striking how complementary the brains of women and men really are. Quite striking how complementary our brains actually are. And so that's why, that's this dance. Justin kind of talked to us about how a husband and a wife a few weeks ago, they have this dance, you know, and we complement each other in the dance and there's a lead and there's a support. And it's like this beautiful thing when we're all working together well. And so, um, in light of that, well, okay, that's fine. We work together different. What, how, (laughs) like how, I mean, sometimes we, we, we don't really know how to communicate to the point where we're understanding each other, right? And then we have trouble. So, <laughs> so Peter paints a picture of this dance for us. In 1 Peter, I'm going to go there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word... They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Okay, I read this, and I'm going, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Gentle, quiet, I'm already, already, Jesus, help me. But if we look at what the original Greek language is saying, because every word in the Greek, right, is more descriptive than what we see here, we kind of get a better picture. So I want to, I'm going to just describe a couple of these words, and then we're going to kind of read it in its full descriptive way. Okay? 
One of the words, it says, uh, you know, so your husbands, so that none of them, so if any of them are disobedient to the word, that word disobedient right there is actually refuses to be persuaded. So if your husband refuses to be persuaded, you can win him. Win means to, to, uh, to play your cards right, wise up, act cleverly. So win him, get to his heart. You know, it's saying like, there's actually a way to be able to, uh, persuade someone who refuses to be persuaded not to manipulate we'll get into that later but but okay for the right thing gentle and quiet this word hazokios hazokios this is my word means tranquility right tranquility has the power to settle everything around it and women if you're mothers you know what i'm talking about tranquility okay i any moms out there? Your kids are screaming at you. Your husband's asking you questions and you're just like frayed and frazzled. And this is what he's talking about. The hidden person of the heart. Um, as the holy women of, of old used to hope in God. And, and it's that idea of like, because you're hoping in God, because you have that relationship with God, that you access that tranquility in those moments. Um, but it gets even better. It actually describes appropriately tranquil by not misusing or overusing words that could stir up needless friction or destructive commotion. I mean, all the husbands say amen, right? Right? (laughs) Okay, so this is about kind of harnessing what's going on in the emotional, logical, you know, process, harnessing it and learning how to to, um, then let it out, okay? Let's read the paraphrase all together. It says, wife, embrace an attitude of intelligent, willing submission and support towards your husband so that if he refuses to be persuaded in your conversations or reasoning, especially in regard to Christ or doctrine, then you can win him over as you display godliness by your actions. Actions speak louder than words. Focus less on telling him what to do and how you look and more on growing in godliness on the inside. Learn how to walk in tranquility not by, by not misusing or overusing words that would stir up needless friction or destructive commotion. This kind of humble tranquility is precious in the sight of God and honors the position of your husband. Okay? Awesome, right? That's more clear. I get that. All right. I can work with that. Cool. All right. So what does is, what is willing, intelligent submission look like? We're going to take a look at Esther. Esther paints a beautiful picture of how she dances, does this dance, okay? And there's things in here I want you to know. This is not just talking to, to married women. You'll see the things that the, the same principles apply to everybody. Um, but and anyway, I'm just going to kind of go give you the background of Esther. If you don't know the story of Esther, uh, she was a young Jewish girl living in Persia. And uh, she was raised by her co- cousin Mordecai. Her parents died when she was young. There were Jews living in, the Jews who were living in Persia at the time were actually remnants of an enslaved nation that were under Persian rule, okay? And the king of Persia was looking for a wife. He wanted a queen. And so he invited all the young maidens to come to the castle, and Esther was one of them to go. Her cousin Mordecai kind of gave her a little bit of advice and said, um, maybe you should conceal the, the fact that you're Jewish, which comes in, hand, it comes in handy later. Um, so she goes, she ends up being the one who's chosen queen at the same time, uh, a very wicked and vindictive man is being raised up to become the, the king's right hand man, his, his most trusted counsel. Of course, the king didn't know he was wicked and, and vindictive. 
And in particular, he's got something against the Jewish nation. He's got something against these people, and he wants them gone. So he decides that he's going to convince the king to commit genocide in the land. And the king does, signs an edict, all in one day, all the men, women, and children, all the Jews are going to be slayed. And the, and the people of Persia are going to take their stuff. And, uh, and they, then Haman, who is the wicked, vindictive man, he won't have to worry about the Jewish people anymore. Okay. So, word gets to Esther that this is going to happen. Now we're going to look at what, what does Esther do? How does she handle herself? Okay. Let's go to Esther chapter 4, verse 16. She, uh, she says, Go assemble all the Jews who are in, found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maidens also will fast the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Wow, she's tough. She's like, all right, I'm going to do this. If, if she went and approached the king without him inviting her, he could immediately kill her. That was the deal. And, uh, and so for her to go and approach the king was like a very big risk. But she decided... I'm going to do this. I will do this for my people. I want, to, I want to be able to at least try to save my generation. So I'm going to do this. And, uh, and so, but the first thing that she did, her plan, was I'm going to go to God first. I'm going to go to God first. Uh, she, um, this is what Peter's talking about, the, the one who hopes in God, right? And, and I think... Uh, this, is, this is our first characteristic of a godly woman. She hopes in God. I think sometimes we skip over this part when we're dealing with our interpersonal stuff with our husbands and our families or even with our coworkers or the people we live with. Uh, we, we skip this part. And this is where, this is crucial. It's like if you aren't going to God first, God, I want to humble my heart before you. I want to see clearly what do you want? How, what's your strategy? Give me your heart for this person, for this, for this generation, for this situation, you know? And, uh, and so I think that that's the, the, the key right there. I was really tested in this this past year. Um, right after my son was born, he had like a bunch of issues, ended up back in the hospital. Immediately, I dealt with like very... Um, strong anxiety. Like I had really a hard time with it and there wasn't any real big issue, but they had to do all these tests anyway. And so this last year of my life was probably the hardest year I've ever gone through giving birth, having him have to have all those tests. You know, I like a family member died at the same time. We were buying a house. So my husband like had to go, I mean, it was like insanity. And then I got sick and I was sick for months. And through it all, I kind of realized, wow, I have become very comfortable with hoping in the things around me to make me feel good. Yeah. I became very comfortable with that. As long as my husband was home at work every day at 3.30, I was okay. As long as my kids were healthy, I was okay. As long as I was healthy, I was okay. But when all that stuff went away, I was scared. And I found there's, wow, there's something missing here. I had to move forward and dig deeper and, and find my hope in Christ because nobody else could carry me the way that he could. You know, uh, through all that, there was, there was times where I really felt like I'm going to lose it. I, 
I just was fearful and tired of fighting. And I got on the phone and I asked people to help me. Not that they could walk this walk for me, but that they could point me to God, help me find him. They were giving me scriptures. They were praying for me. They were coming over and helping me with my babies, like when I couldn't. We need community. And that was the second thing that Esther did. A a godly woman grows in community. The second thing she did was she gathered up all the people in Susa. She gathered up her maidens. She said, I know that I have to be the one to go into that, that courtroom and approach, approach the king, but I don't have to do it alone. I can have the support of the people around me. This is so key in dealing with anybody in, in, in any situation. We need to grow uh, among the people around us. In, in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, This is so important. Titus encourages the older women. Older women encourage the younger women to to love their husbands and children. A different translation says older women train the younger women how to love their husbands and children. So important. We can't just spontaneously keep loving people. It isn't eventually you just run out and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so offended, or I'm so overwhelmed, or how do I keep loving my husband through this? And the older women who's been married for 10, 15, 20, 25 years will sit and say, look, we went through something like that. My husband refused to be persuaded about something, and this is what we did. This is how we saw the other side of it. This is how God worked a miracle in both of our lives. This is how we had people praying with us. We had people counseling us. We had people that came around. Well, you don't understand. See, my husband doesn't want outsiders in our situation. That doesn't matter. Be vague then. Be very vague. Say, I need people to kind of pray for our family. We just, you know, I'm, I'm, try- I'm not seeing things clearly. I just want people to be praying. You know, it's like that sort of thing. That's how you start. But then the Holy Spirit, we see we're all one, uh, we're, we're one body, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit desires unity. And so when we start praying for the people in our family, miracles happen. God desires to work a miracle in your family every day. God desires to work a miracle in my family so that there's a grace for when my kids are freaking out. And I'm like, I want to be Jesus to them. I want to show them Jesus and welcome my husband home from work. The simple things where, where my kids will grow up seeing a lifestyle of this loving, you know, Jesus. And we need prayer. We need support. We need community. So what's the third thing Esther does? Let's read uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. When the king saw Esther, the queen, Standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Interesting. The king accepts Esther into the court. And what does she do? She doesn't go to him. King, I have a problem. I have an issue. There's a problem. All my people are going to die. No, she doesn't bring that to him right then. She honors the position that he's in. She honors how he can best receive from her her request. 
you know? And instead of, um, of just laying it all out there, she invites him. I want to invite you and bless you. I want to honor who you are, the position that you're in, by inviting you. And so um, she uh, invites him to a banquet, and they come. A godly woman embraces honor. This is anything. You can honor the position of your husband, honor the position of your teachers, your bosses, your employers, the governing authorities. You can honor. You can disagree and still honor the position, just like David did. David was anointed king of Israel when he was young, and for many, many years, he was hiding out in caves because he refused to take the life of the, the current king, Saul. Saul was a wicked man who disobeyed God, but David refused to stretch out his arm against him because he was anointed of God to be the king at that time. So he disagreed. He didn't just go along with Saul, but he honored the position that he was in. And I think that that's very key for us. We've kind of lost this in our culture, I think, the idea of honor and respect and and disagreeing respectfully. You know, that's a very godly principle that um, if we use God will God will then lift us up and give us opportunity and have and we'll have a platform to be able to speak which is what happened to Esther um, and so and it, particularly in a marriage we we get this backwards women I'm just gonna be very specific we don't feel loved or noticed or even romanced by our husbands and so we kind of get angry maybe, and we get kind of get up in their face, or we just kind of retreat, and we don't, we shut down, and it's like, uh, we're, we're kind of opposite in those times. Let's, let's try to do what Esther does. Uh, honor your husband, love him, invite him, bless him, honor the position that he's in, and if you need to um, tell him that, you know, you're doing something that's kind of hurting me or, or neglecting me, then he's in an area where the king's heart was was softened to hear what she had to say. And of course, you have to seek God first because it's God who softens the heart, right? Okay, so once she genuinely gives honor to, to her husband, she's ready uh, and he's ready to hear her issues. Let's, let's see what she does. We're going to read chapter 7, verses 2 through 6. And the king said to Esther on the second day, also as they drank their wine at the banquet, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it will be done. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed and annihilated. Now, If we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would presume to do this? Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. Esther used her voice. A godly woman uses her voice. Submission is not silence. Esther was clear, she was specific, and she was courageous to say what needed to be said. And the king heard her. Amazing. We've been given a voice. You've been given a grace and a measure 
of a gift on your life. And, as, and in any circumstance, you need to use your voice. And Esther was used to save her generation. And isn't that what we're called to do? To reconcile lost souls to the love of our Father because we've been reconciled. Right? We have the opportunity to save a generation. You and your family have an opportunity to do it well. We're not always going to get it right, but you do it well. And guess what that does? Other people see it, and you are a beacon of light and hope to the rest of the people in this generation who are living in a broken home idea. I remember when my parents got divorced. I was 14, and I just remember that kind of the lid came right off my life. I was so much more susceptible to things because I didn't have the covering and I didn't know God, I, but I didn't have the covering of my family. And I have watched God heal my family over the last 12 years. And it's incredible. It's an incredible thing. And God has healed my heart from every broken thing. Amazing. And God wants to do that for you today because he wants to use you to be a light of hope in this generation and a voice to those who are hurting and broken. Sometimes we just need to close our mouths for a little while in order to hear what God wants to say through us, right? So I realized this, that supporting my husband, submitting to his headship, being in the right position, it doesn't silence my voice or it doesn't suppress my gifts. It actually enhances my ability to be who I'm called to be. So uh, maybe you're here today, and you're realizing that you really haven't hoped in God. Maybe you haven't hoped in God for, uh, f- for your peace, for your provision, for your, for your love. His love is sufficient for you. Nobody else is ever going to be enough. Maybe you're here today. And you're realizing, I don't really have that community around me that I can lean on, who can point me to God and say, this is the truth. I know this is how you feel, but this is the truth. And you really need that. Maybe you're here today, and you don't honor the position of the people that, that are in your life. You don't honor your parents or your teachers or your boss. You don't honor your husband. God wants to fix that. He wants to heal you so that you can be in a, in a position of honor. And maybe you're here today and you have not been using your voice properly. You're too demanding or you're quiet. And God wants to say, I want to speak through you. I want to give you my words and my heart. And so the band is going to play a song, and we're going to worship. And as we do, I just, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and, and minister to your heart in these areas. And the most important thing 
the, the absolute most important thing is to know that Christ died and gave his life so that you can have the fullness of life and know the love of God. And so today, I just pray that uh, you would receive a fuller revelation of what that is. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.